1: All right, we're recording. Benny J, welcome to the podcast. Uh, you want to give a brief introduction about yourself to the people out there listening?
0: Sure. Um, I'm Ben Johnson. I've uh, I've known Avery's roommate Nikki P for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a, quite an interesting history. I've also known Avery. Um, we both went to Bryant for for a little while, and. Um, I dropped out of Bryant my junior year, um, started a salsa company. I kind of timed that up pretty poorly with COVID. Um, yeah. COVID got going, and the next thing I knew, um, it was pretty hard to grow a business and uh, went to work for a small startup in the area, um, kind of in a management position, and now I'm at a, a tech company down in Atlanta
1: nice 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 um i guess we should let the listeners know a little cheers this is yeah, the f- cheers, cheers. first even though we're on zoom uh this is the first intoxication podcast so hopefully oh, we yeah. get into some interesting conversations i, I think we will i, th- I think it <laughs> kind of breeds creativity <laughs> um so let's start uh, well i guess let's go lin- like chronologically so let's start with the salsa business so okay. my, my father Salsa, right? Correct. With a T-H-A. Yep. Um, so kind of just tell me, like, where did the idea come to start this business?
0: Uh, crazy enough. I mean, it came out of a, a freshman year, you know, kind of business class where you had to write a uh, business plan with a group and, you know, you had a semester long project and building out what could hopefully be a real viable business. And, you know, initially my group didn't know what to do. And I was like, you know, I have this salsa recipe that everybody's (laughs) always told us that, Hey, you should, you should do this in real life. And, you know, my group loved it and, you know, we did pretty well.
1: And I started it that summer. So you, when you were doing this group project, you had like no idea like that you were going to do it in the future you just said guys i have this idea and then everyone kind of wrote it up and you were just like shit we should do this
0: yeah no i i had no idea that it was going to become a real thing i couldn't tell you what was like the defining moment where i was like shit i'm actually going to do this but sure enough like started the business that summer we started pretty small we were it was kind of like you know, testing the product out in like a real market, which was the very snooty farmer's markets of <laughs> Cape Cod, um, which was funny. So it was a pretty interesting group of people. And like, you know, these rich, you know, housewives who would be hosting parties, they'd be like, I got this at the farmer's market and like trying to be kind of boo, which was funny. I sold them for 10 bucks a jar at that oh.
1: point. Wow. That's, and it was, awesome. it was just like yeah. kind of a small little like jelly jar yeah. almost.
0: Yeah. And, <laughs> and sure enough, like I paid for my books and beer money for two years off of the salsa company while well, at school.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. So, so you mentioned kind of like just testing product. Was that like the early stages is just you, did you make it out of like your parents' kitchen or like yeah. your apartment? Yeah. Like you just making yeah. it?
0: Yeah, that first summer out of, the, you know, my parents' house, like, you know, I we cooked it in like um, basically like a crock pot and I'd have three of them going at a time. And the first time I did it, like trying to make like a lot, I blew a fuse in the house.
1: <laughs> Dad definitely wasn't happy with that.
0: No, no, it was kind of like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, you're, you don't have like a job, you're working by yourself, mm-hmm. um, blown a fuse, but mm-hmm. like my parents did love it. They did love it. They're like, this is cool. And if you can make money doing this, like we'll support you.
1: Yeah. That's, that's awesome to hear that like, your parents were like that. The entrepreneurial spirit is kind of weird in that way. Cause it's, it's definitely like frowned upon as far as like your average person i feel like more now with like social media stuff and like people like gary v and like that entrepreneur has kind of become more mainstream the cool thing to be yeah um yeah. but Definitely. i feel like def- yeah but before it was kind of looked like if you're an entrepreneur it just means you're unemployed and you don't know what to do with your life yeah. um but so you're just making the salsa in your parents house So, and you said you, uh, started selling at farmer's market. What, what I, I know you're, it's in like some stores too. Right. So how did that did like people contact you or were you just like going out, giving people free samples saying you should carry this?
0: The first summer was like the big test. Like I knew all my friends liked it. I knew, you know, the whole family liked it, but you know, Slapping, you know, you know, a logo on there and putting it out there to a small market where, you know, people can actually try it with no bias was a big deal. It was a big deal. And there was actually the real first big step. Now I remember it was um, Cape Cod beer down here on the Cape has a big brewery and they'll hold a salsa competition every year. So we entered and we won first place.
1: Oh, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. And that's what kind of led to me being like, all right, I'm going to check this out at a farmer's market this summer. You know, we did three of them the first year, three days a week. And that's when I knew like, all right, people actually like it. People are going to pay for it. And let's see where we can go from
1: here. So you went to these stores and just like kind of set up a table. And just sold it. So you weren't actually in the store, but they allowed you to sell it on the premises?
0: So, like the way the farmers markets worked, where they were ran by the town, like a little board on the town, right? And, um, you know, you could sign up to be a vendor for, you know, 200 bucks for the summer. And, you know, as long as you have all your licenses and everything, which is like Board of Health stuff, pretty typical like they had to come by and check like the the kitchen in my house <laughs> to get a license.
1: That's actually kind of hilarious. Be like, yeah. The health inspector shows up to your premises and it's just your parents' kitchen.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was funny. It was a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of paperwork that goes into food. Which makes sense.
1: Yeah, you got got to make sure that everyone's safe consuming whatever although it is kind of disturbing that i remember reading an article or something about the fda like it's okay to have a certain amount of like arsenic in your food it just has to be like under like a really small percentage but it's still like (laughs) it's still like yeah yeah, there's probably some different chemicals in your food that you're consuming it's i mean it's Mm -hmm. just like bound to happen with like supply chains and stuff but it's just yeah kind of unnerving to read that
0: it's concerning for sure. Yeah,
1: And like the rodent, like the rodents parts, like the insects parts. Like, I don't know if you know all about that stuff.
0: We could get into a whole podcast bashing <laughs> the FDA and the things that go on with companies putting out new products. It's, it's an interesting world mm. that, you know, I think most people probably don't want to know about.
1: Oh no, it's ignorant. <laughs> ignorance is bliss. That's definitely, that's yeah. definitely that. Um, kind of field right there um but so you're selling at farmer's markets and then so when so that was was that wasn't the same summer right when was that cape cod um
0: here in farmer's award? markets
1: the same summer oh it was so yeah. you you were doing really good out right off the bat you're yeah. cooking out yeah. products what um and then obviously you go back to school so when you when you're in school how is the business being run? Do you have it kind of like delegated to others that aren't in school? Or are you running it from school as best you can? Or yeah. is it just kind of paused? At
0: that point, it was like, all right, we got a summer in the books. I've sold, you know, it was probably over a thousand jars that first summer, which was awesome.
1: Yeah, it's uh, more than anything I've ever sold.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, all right, like I want to do this. So it was kind of cool to get back to school and now that was a nice run and uh you know be like all right what are the next steps here and i found myself spending way more time figuring out how i'm going to start a salsa business than i was like spending time on schoolwork which became an ongoing issue as things progressed for sure
1: so you were just like all focused on the salsa business because you were because essentially like people go to school to learn about business and stuff like that so when they get out the real world but you were you had your own business so you're like why do I why the fuck do I have to go to this like management 200 class
0: yeah what am I doing here and you know I'd book out like six hours in one of the library rooms and I'd spend you know probably initially like half and half on banging out whatever homework i had to do and like prep for a class and the other half like looking into stuff and what licenses i would need where i could actually go to produce somewhere where i could sell on shelves
1: and so have you have you eventually did you eventually get to that place where you were in stores
0: yeah okay. yeah so how
1: did that come about
0: after that first summer, I picked up some press, which was cool.
1: Oh, like, really? Like, did yeah. you did you like reach out to people and be like, hey, you should write an article? Or people were just like, oh, this is a great story? The
0: first one was that this this kind of
1: well-known,
0: interesting reporter guy from the Cape Cod Times goes to, like, the farmer's markets. And, you know, one day he came and he bought some salsa and he took a picture of me. And, but, you know, I ended up doing like an article and that was really cool. And, you know, it, I think it was like the online edition and that wasn't the time to actually that was like the sandwich newspaper. And um, I had some people reach out at that point. where like, you know, can we get this in our store? And I was like, shit, I got to get going. <laughs> like people already wanted in the store. Like I'm in no way set up to do that yet. So that's kind of what drove me spending time at school for it um and as that progressed there was like a few more like people reaching out to do articles one of them was the Cape Cod times um there was another one from we'd done a market off Cape that you know there was reporters at and they wanted to do an article so things kind of started picking up faster i was ready for so to speak and that was kind of what kind of caused the movement
1: yeah when the demand kind of exceeds what yeah. you're making or necessarily like want to make too because <laughs> uh, yeah. at this point is it just you doing it by yourself and like yeah. you have no help it's just you canning it's,
0: yeah it's me you know in the kitchen my parents helping for part of it you know, having some of my friends from home come over and help for part of it and you know, banging it out, jarring everything, the whole kitchen counter covered in jars of salsa, just that's that's kind of was like, all right, this isn't gonna work if stores, you know, want me in their stores and first off, you know, there's a legal issue there, and second off, like it's just not scalable.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I'm this is just kind of curiosity for me how long would it take you like just you like raw ingredients to can of or not can jar of salsa how long would that take you i think at that
0: point in time i was doing about a 100 jars a batch and that would take from you know nine in the morning to four o'clock in the afternoon
1: and would you sell like a, like how many would you sell at the farmer's market? Would you say like a,
0: just a... like 150 ish. And so, yeah, I was, I was doing probably two batches a week. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point in time, you know, in the house, which was just chaos. <laughs> um, and it, it, you know, to get into a store, you needed to be, um, using a, like a licensed facility. Mm-hmm. That was like legit. And that's kind of what the next summer was all about.
1: So, so you actually moved into like a licensed facility and was it on the Cape?
0: No, it was, um, it's a facility in Rhode Island. Oh, okay. When, you know, food is really hard in terms of scale. You know, if you want to take that next step, it's hard. You want to take that next step. It's even harder. Um, so there's a lot of what's called shared use facilities,
1: Okay. I'm not familiar with that. It's,
0: it's, you know, I paid basically a membership fee to be part of this, um, licensed kitchen that had, you know, a ton of equipment and, you know, there's probably, you know, 40 other companies in there at a time. And it's, you know, everything from storage and, you know, jarring to actual production equipment and like large scale uh cookers basically to cook the salsa
1: okay so it's essentially like you and like 40 other companies that are kind of in the same boat where they they need to expand but they probably don't have enough capital to like buy their own industrial equipment and stuff like that okay that's that's a very cool idea that there's things out there i guess i've kind of seen that in i i was in uh california in last november uh for mm-hmm. thanksgiving we did a bunch of like wine tasting tours and stuff and oh, it's crazy the amount of like synergy like kind of similar to what you're doing is like they'll bottle their wines here and then they'll grow their grapes here and bring it like other places mm-hmm. um I, and it's smart by everyone cuz it's everyone can kind of help each other with the overhead costs and then you just yeah. you get your salsa
0: saves <laughs> so the bottom line for sure yeah
1: yeah <laughs> So how many, so that next summer you're in this like new facility, are you able, did your productivity go up? Like, were you able to pump out more, more you were?
0: Yeah. At that point we're doing, you know, 250, 350 jars in a batch. Um, and is it still just uh,
1: you or do you have like employees or people helping you? Like volunteers at
0: at that point, I think, I think it was about half of that summer was, um, me, my parents, and my friends, once again, just in a much larger, much painful, much more painful scale of just like, it didn't get easier with moving to like a real facility. It got harder and it was, you know, about halfway through that summer, I think it was apparent that like the next step was gonna have to be taken for everybody's sanity, Um, which basically was the facility which is, it's actually a nonprofit, which I thought is really interesting. Um, Offers what they call a co-pack and people in the food industry are familiar with this. So I have a agreed upon per unit price with the facility that has their own workers that make the salsa. Um, If I don't, you know, agree with the quality of the batch, they're not allowed to question that. I send it back, they give me a full refund, they got to make it again.
1: Okay. So it's essentially like, like a contractor, yeah. like where you give them the recipe or whatever, and they make it. Oh, okay, that's another very cool thing that is probably very helpful for people trying to scale food businesses.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's um definitely a little bit less cost effective, but it mm. it kind of takes a lot off your shoulders in terms of where your priorities are.
1: Yeah, yeah, because you're focused so much on like labor where that kind of frees you up to do other stuff. So that one summer where you're using these kind of like different, um, production methods, how many stores were you able to get into?
0: I think we were up to like 25. Wow. At that point in time, which was, which was pretty legit. And the majority of those were like, very Cape Cod, you know, boutique mm. kind of stores. Um, and then we had gotten into a smaller grocery chain that's that's like South Shore, Massachusetts. And that was super cool, mostly because like the product was going up against the big guys at that point.
1: So like you had your salsa like next to like Tostitos or something like that? or Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. that's re- that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was it was
0: going head to head with, you know, the bigger guys and we were definitely more on the expensive side at that point, still mm-hmm. are, but it was it was, you know, very interesting to watch over the next year and a half as numbers begin to rise in terms of how quickly the the stores were ordering more and, you know, as the time kind of shortened down and the order size goes up. So,
1: and what's the name of that like small little, uh, like grocery store? That's uh, Trukey's Markets. Okay. Yeah. I've never heard of it. Um,
0: they're, you know, South Shore, closer to Rhode Island, to mm. Um, uh, Taunton Bridgewater, Rainham, um, a couple, two other stores, too. But it's nice once you're working with those kind of guys because you deliver to one facility and they put it out there to the rest. Yeah. You know, it's, it's
1: so would you, would you say that's like kind of your biggest, like the biggest store you g- got into or? Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. definitely the biggest. They've been around for a very long time. Um, I know the owner pretty well. And like it's been a family run, you know, grocery store chain for like 60 years.
1: Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. um, So you're kind of like in all the store. Would you say was this, did you get into the stores before you had dropped out of school or was that, uh, so you did. Okay. So let's go like kind of to the decision of you dropping out. What did your parents think about that? Like why, what made you think to drop out? What Mm. were your plans? Like walk me through that situation.
0: It was kind of a double edged sword and one in the sense that, I'm paying all this money for, you know, a private business school where, you know, I'm, I'm, at that point I'm not really going to class. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm not doing a whole lot to, you know, progress myself through school and I'm still having like a 3.3 GPA showing up for exams. So I'm like, you know, what am I learning here and why? And two, you know, I'm going through finance, going through, you know, management, supply chain, and I'm realizing that I'm learning things that haven't been, you know, used in business for 20 years. They're extremely outdated. All the textbooks are outdated. And on the other end of that, I'm spending so much of my time, most of the time that I would be spending on school, you know, where I would have like a crazy GPA on a salsa business that's doing pretty well and growing that i was like you know what i i don't want to keep putting myself in debt here you know i'd rather wait and see down the line what happens with this salsa company take out a business loan or something in the future maybe get you know some sort of angel investment and you know really go after that
1: so that was kind of the thought process behind uh dropping out what so when you came to your parents and told them or did did you tell them before you did it or like ask their opinion i can just only only imagine like you're just talking to your parents about that it was definitely
0: like kind of a group decision in a sense where like my parents knew i was smart i was smart you know in high school i i almost gotten into west point like i was Mm. i was never like i was like a slacker It wasn't like I'd be dropping out to like, I don't know, like do nothing and work at stop and shop. Like I was dropping out in the sense that, you know, maybe the product's going to be on the shelf at some point. And it was it was kind of an interesting time where my dad is never, you know, my dad's always been do whatever makes you happy. He's like, I don't I don't care. I'll support you. Whatever makes you happy, you know, do it. My mom, there was, there was a good amount of pushback where she was like, are you sure about this? You know, this and that. Um, but at the end, they agreed. I left after first semester junior year. And I think it was that April or March that, you know, COVID hit, mm-hmm. which was like a real dagger.
1: Yeah. So So COVID just completely killed you, like, It was just, it,
0: it was a growth thing. Really. It was like in order to really grow like a food business, the the biggest thing is like you're going and you're actively doing like tastings at your stores. Mm -hmm. So you're getting the product directly into somebody's hands before they buy it. Um, And with COVID there's the, you know, they're, they're still not doing that. That's still not the thing where they want, anyone near food that's being served to somebody in their in their you know place of business
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i can imagine because everyone loves free samples so if you walk into the store and there's benny j handing out like yeah tortilla chips with the salsa on it and then you get and then you start to talk to them it's it's a little easier to like sell people things than if it's just like they're on the shelf and they're like huh i don't really know what this is like if they haven't seen a news article or they haven't heard it like word of mouth. Um, so yeah. So, so did you like try anything like kind of creative, like during COVID to like try and get it in front of people or was it just kind of like impossible?
0: It was, it was impossible to do it at a store. Mm -hmm. That was one thing for sure. One thing that we had to was, you know, we still had the availability to do those really small jars that were basically like a half of like a full size jar, and you know it was good to be able to put those out into stores because you know you're, you know oh I'll give this salsa a try it's you know half the price and I can test it not, you know throw it out after one bite and feel like I wasted a bunch of money, that was cool um, and the other thing was a, a bigger online push.
1: So with online, uh, I'm assuming you have like, just like a website. So like, yeah. were you like running like Google ads and Facebook ads or anything like that? Or is it all organic?
0: That was, you know, the tougher part. Cause at the time I didn't know too much about like SEO and yeah, you
1: should, know, you should have texted me <laughs> I know <laughs> that's what I, I do know. for a
0: living. And I was like, shit, like for one, I don't know a ton about this Two. I know it's expensive to get any real traction um Mm -hmm. which which is was a whole nother thing where like am i going to risk you know five ten thousand dollars right now on you know a couple campaigns where they might not produce anything yeah that's very risky to me um but we did you know we opened up online which was cool Uh, the website's great um But the biggest deal with that was shipping. Yeah. Yeah. Shipping, you know, even now you see it with what's going on in the world, like shipping costs are up six, seven percent. And that's still biting into me um, even right now.
1: Well, and not only that with the price, but like the time delays and stuff of things and shortages Mm -hmm. and like supply. Like, I feel like every other week there's like some story about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. These, these massive supply chain issues that everybody's hearing about, but um, so, you know, the product's heavy, like it's a glass jar full of like salsa, like, you know, it's everybody has that, you know, expense when it comes to buying something online and Amazon makes it kind of not a thing these days, but for a small business trying to branch out into online, it it was, it was very tough. I looked at a lot of different options in terms of, you know, where I could sell online and how I could, you know, work with some sort of packaging shipping company to lower those costs. And it, it was, it really came down to scale Mm -hmm. and getting to a point where, you know, maybe we were doing 2000 jars like a month, which was like, from one standpoint on a production standpoint hard at the current facility, it was going to be very difficult to have them on a schedule where they could make that much salsa. And, you know, that's also created a whole nother issue with the shipping itself and like the amount of time that would go into shipping 2000 jars of salsa, you know, a month.
1: Yeah. And especially if there's just like one individual jar, like I can, Mm. I can imagine that's very time consuming to do all that. And and to your point, like Amazon with two-day shipping, and other places like Walmart and Target, they've done that now. But they're also massive companies with infinite yeah. pocketbooks that can and have Take all. It. Yeah, and they also have all this data and other stuff too that helps. And mm-hmm. you're just you're trying to make two thousand things of salsa. It's a little, a little yeah. different.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so that created a just a nightmare of issues, which kind of led me to the realization that this pandemic has really, you know, messed this up. At this point, I've dropped out of college.
1: Mm.
0: You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's like times are dire, um, which is when I started, you know, looking for another little side hustle.
1: And so that kind of land you to that first uh, startup company that you worked for?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which was was very interesting. Um, It kind of opened me up to a world that I was completely unaware of. And initially I was kind of like a sales
1: consultant. Okay. Um, So it wasn't full time at first or?
0: First. Yeah. Yeah. Not at first. It was, it was kind of like, The whole business model of this company right is you know working with large enough entities to handle their energy contracts while also providing some ancillary services like led lighting upgrades solar um eventually car charging stations and then some different different products to mitigate covid
1: okay so for the listeners that might not know and for me because i'm kind of stupid when you say the term energy contract what does that entail just like where they get their energy from essentially yeah
0: so it's kind of a an interesting thing that happens in our country where in the northeast it's way more prevalent in other parts of the country not so much but we actually have what's called energy choice so you can go out and you can shop energy providers which is the name you see on your bill Mm -hmm. and pick a provider who might be you know, a certain amount lower than another. And in terms of like, you know, residentially speaking, it's not a thing. Like it doesn't really matter. Um, but when you're uh, either, you know, a city or a town or a big enough company, you know, I saw, I can't say the name of the town, but I saw one town. It was pretty big and they could have saved over a million dollars over four years. Wow. The budget. Big deal,
1: which is a big deal. Just by picking your company or by picking like a different? Okay.
0: Yeah. Just by working with us to get them, you know, a better price per what they call a kilowatt hour. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, they actually stalled. And the interesting thing that we saw with COVID in that industry was that energy prices were at a low. You know, people weren't going into offices, lights were turned off, demand was way down. Mm-hmm. So energy prices fell. Um, and they waited so long to, you know, re up on their contract that they lost over a million dollars in savings. Wow. Yep.
1: And so so your company would they wouldn't you would kind of manage the contracts, you wouldn't actually like be the one supplying that energy, correct?
0: No, so we kind of worked as all these massive these these are billion dollar companies that um, basically own energy generation plants. So they're making energy mm-hmm. and distributing it, and you know they don't like to have like a huge sales arm. It's a big part of their business. So they outsource you know a sales and marketing fee, which is built in to that contract at a you know if you're paying eight point three cents per kilowatt. You know all you know with us it's 8.34 so for every kilowatt hour we're collecting 0.04 cents and on a big scale that's you know a couple hundred thousand dollars over a few years Mm -hmm.
1: okay okay that makes sense um so you were kind of brought on as like a just a part-time how did you get in contact with that was it like a just you know a guy type deal or did you like go out and seek them It was a you know a guy kind of deal
0: and it was like here's a contract to basically be part-time this is a commission structure this and that and Mm. you know after spending you know eight or so plus months i think doing that on the side um the ceo was an interesting guy he's like a harvard graduate loved to talk about it he was like you know he wore his ring every day the office had like the flags Every car plate he had, and he had a crazy amount of cars. I mean, Mm -hmm. Harvard one, Harvard two, Harvard three, Um, just kind of a real interesting guy. But he had no social skills whatsoever. And Mm -hmm. he was coming off of like selling out of part of a similar company and starting this. So I was kind of there to act as management to other salespeople as well as kind of like a
1: right hand man. Okay. Okay. Um, so you, and so the salsa business is also continuing this entire time, right? While you're doing this. Yeah. Okay. Um, so how was that? Cause I'm assuming, I mean, what, at this time, how old are you? 22, 23, 21, 22, 21, yeah. 22. So I'm assuming that other salespeople were, people were not um younger than you. I'm assuming they're like older than you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So how was,
1: was, how was that like managing? Because I always, I mean, like I, I've I've not been like a manager yet in my life. I want I like want to be at one point, but I always th- thought that it's so weird thinking about managing people that are older than you. There's just like something about it that yeah. I think across generations is just weird. Younger people telling older people not necessarily what to do, but just. I'm in charge, kind of. So how was that? How did you handle that? Did you have mm-hmm. any issues with that? People giving you a hard time?
0: Yeah, I mean, first off, I got to say, like, the whole sales business model, right? If you're trying to get into cities and towns, you need connections, right? Mm-hmm. So the vast majority of the sales arm of this company was older guys, part-time, working a similar contract that I had you know, before coming in full time, um, who were just there to like, you know, make some good money on the side, make their own hours. Um, and you know, their extent of their job was like, Hey, I know so-and-so like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to call them up. I'm going to set a meeting. We're going to go in and bullshit for, you know, 30 minutes of the meeting. And then you're going to come in and actually talk product and, you know, we're either going to close or we're not. Mm -hmm. so So i'm dealing with these old guys who had some sort of background where they knew a lot of politicians and i'm managing them which is like you said it's weird (laughs) it's weird and i'm like you know i'm calling these guys up weekly and we're having discussions about who we're meeting with and i'm you know pushing them to set more meetings and and things like that. And it did have its difficulties with like working with older people. But for the most part, it was, it was pretty like, you know, mutual respect and like, Oh, this kid is like young and smart and he knows what he's talking about when it comes to the actual product. So it's fine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And from, from my just kind of like life learnings and reading about stuff, kind of what you said is respect, And like how you how you get that respect is you earn trust and if they can trust you and they know that you're not just some idiot, essentially, that you know what you're talking about and you're driven. And it it does kind of help, like you said, that they're they're just there, like almost like part retired, just making some money so that they can maybe have a nicer vacation next year rather than it was their livelihood, so to speak.
0: Yeah, and it was interesting because some of them would make a significant amount, significantly more amount of money than the other, mm. um, depending on how deep those contacts went and where they were. Um, you know, some of them were seeing a check for like five, ten thousand dollars $10,000 a month.
1: Wow, that's which, a lot.
0: Yeah, which is significant money. While I was leaving, there was a guy who had brought in a property management company with over 120 hotels and he was looking at probably about 20 grand a month. Wow. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah, no, good for him. And he was he was the youngest guy I think on, you know, that that team where he just he he had this contact. We brought him in through one of the other guys and he was fired up and motivated to make it
1: happen. So did you ever become full-time with this company or was it, it was just strictly part-time? I was full-time for, I
0: didn't get into the management side till I was full-time. Okay. And I was full-time for uh, 10, 11 months, I think.
1: Okay. Just under a year. And were you, were you like a salaried employee or was it all commission?
0: I was, um, base salary and commission.
1: Okay. Okay
0: and equity actually i was i was an equity partner was part of the deal when i got brought in um so i had a couple percentage points on the company and i don't think i can talk about what i left with
1: yeah 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 i don't want to get you in trouble (laughs) um we can talk about yeah (laughs) um but, so, I guess, is there anything else you want to say about that? Or should we move on to kind of, like, why you left in your new job?
0: Yeah, we can move on. Um, All right. The ultimate reason for leaving was that CEO.
1: Okay, um, it was just, like, a personality difference? Like, you guys didn't get along? It was, It
0: was. If, I guess you could say his lack of personality, partly. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he... he yeah for, yeah
1: for people that don't know you you're a people person you like to have fun you like to talk yeah. um and so i can definitely see if someone's kind of more like introverted and not really yeah. like out there you're kind of like what's with what this person <laughs> yeah and it was definitely
0: like a an ego issue where you know it was like hey like our website hasn't been updated in five years and like in our industry it wasn't as big of a deal um uh, Um, but with where he was trying to move the company to it was going to be a big deal it was like you know like you need to sit down and spend some money on this and like it's 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 not negotiable like it's something that has to happen or you know why aren't we doing x when we could be making you know an extra lot of money probably off of x um and things like that that just really weren't considered and i think that was partially due to ego it was partially due to the the harvard thing um i had left maybe 2 months after the executive vice, vice president left um oh, yeah. who was like forced out he had a big chunk of equity there's um there's still some interesting things going on with that but it was like it's time to get out of here um I took all of my interviews with the new company on time while I was at that job. I was like, like totally beyond pissed off about what was
1: going on at that point. Mm. But you're in, you're in the new company. Um, Mm. What give me a little background about like your role, the type of company you're in. And if you like, how, how long have you been working there? I've been here for two and a half months now. Okay, I think
0: maybe a little less, a little less. Yeah.
1: Is it a better work environment? I know you have, you have a personal connection to the company, correct?
0: Yeah. I have a couple personal connections to the company where, um, interestingly enough, a family member work, two family members work there. Um, one happens to be a co-founder. Um, it's a tech company based out of uh, Atlanta, And I think we're there's recently a merger between us and another company. So we're right around like the 250 employee mark.
1: Okay. And so what, what is your, like you're in, you're in sales, correct right now. So what, what are you selling?
0: Uh, we are basically a a financial solution for other startup companies. Okay. Uh, so we kind of help connect um finance to sales basically is kind of the layman's terms that i can put it is um kind of i guess making those processes smoother um for like a scaling startup that you know we deal with a lot of companies that recently have had funding you know they get like a series a maybe a seed round um and they need to report back to those investors and they need to have confidence in those numbers that they're reporting. So we provide a solution that helps with that.
1: Okay. So it's essentially like tracking how much you're spending on sales. Like your different. Does it include any marketing too, or is it just sales?
0: This is, this is purely tracking revenues and metrics that other like big, big metrics that are important to software companies, which is like, you know, annual reoccurring revenue, monthly reoccurring revenue, churn, customer lifetime value, um, kind of the the things that an investor is going to want to see on a regular basis.
1: Okay, so they, they essentially just, like, plug their numbers in and then it'll, like, calculate this all for them, essentially, so that they don't have to do it themselves? Is that yeah. the idea? Okay.
0: Basically, is what you typically see is you know financial people whether it's a cfo um vp of finance spending all this time working out of a spreadsheet where you know they're taking numbers out of quickbooks and they're putting it in there to try to calculate these things and it's a nightmare and it's not always right and sometimes you know they're going to miss a renewal because of something like that which is a, a costly thing to miss and it's not something an investor wants to see
1: okay so it essentially takes the human air out of it and it makes it much more proficient for these companies
0: yeah yeah
1: exactly okay that makes sense so how do you how do you go if you don't mind kind of talking about it um how do you go about like finding these companies because obviously there's like the internet there's phone calls there's emails you can do there's i'm sure you have like personal connections like trade shows obviously with covid and mm-hmm. you you've also only been there 2 months so you might not necessarily know but mm-hmm. where do you are kind you, of find these startups are you familiar right now
0: our kind of main i guess you could say point where accounts get fed into our sales force would be crunchbase you know crunchbase
1: is it an internet website
0: yeah yeah so crunchbase is basically
1: um i'm just going to google it and check it out yeah. It's,
0: it's a website that can give you a lot of information about um, a company and a company's, you know,
1: funding level. Um, oh, so, it's kind of like, uh, what is that other? what is it Bloomberg website that has that too? Yeah,
0: yeah. it's kind of like
1: Bloomberg. Um, it looks like it's a little more extensive though.
0: Yeah, and, you know, so we use Crunchbase, we use, you know, Sales Navigator, I think there's over seventy thousand accounts in our sales like our c r m alone mm. so we're we have like plenty of i guess you could say open space accounts it's it's yeah. a it's a market and it's a vastly growing market um we deal strictly with um sales negotiated agreements so companies that are you know, they have a sales process, they have a sales team. It's, it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, and that's kind of a niche thing right now, but it's growing.
1: And is it just software startups or is it like any startup you could think about? Um, on my side
0: of the company, it's software companies, but we have recently merged with another company that is kind of It's a similar product that's built for, I guess, a bigger market. So they can handle software companies They can handle some other use cases. And, you know, we're typically only working with B2B companies and they can handle more B2C. Okay.
1: Okay. That makes sense. Um, So you're enjoying the new role and the salsa business is still running, correct? It's not kaput yet? Yeah,
0: no the the salsa business has survived all of this, which is which is a great thing.
1: Was there was there any time when you are just like, "Fuck this, I'm gonna like close up shop and not doing any not do it anymore," or have you kind I, of like delegated to other people?
0: I mean, the whole co pack thing is great, where you know somebody else is producing it; they know it now. I don't have to be so worried about how they're going about cooking the product. Um, so that takes a huge lift off my shoulders and, you know, I think in terms of like our current stores, we lost a good amount of stores due to COVID. Yeah. Um, we're, we're down to like 15. Like the, like,
1: like they now. cut you out or they just close themselves.
0: Yeah. yeah some of okay. some of them close themselves. Some of them cut us out. Like one, for instance, cl- like it was a bigger kind of chain. And this was actually the biggest chain we were in. And right at the beginning of COVID, I'd say the first couple of months, they closed uh, their local program.
1: Oh,
0: Yeah. So they shut that down. And that was like four or five stores right there that was gone, um, which sucked. And they still haven't opened it back up. Um, I'd love to see them do it. You know, Christmas tree shops, if you're listening, come on.
1: (laughs) You were in the Christmas Um, tree shop?
0: yeah dude yeah.
1: that's <laughs> it was such a funny I mean, story obviously it's like localized like it's not across country but still that's i mean i feel like you talked to any i don't know is that like a northeast thing or is that pretty much it is, it is. Okay. They, they, have,
0: they have like i think about 150 ish stores across the northeast mm. and the cool thing about that one was actually they reached out to me after some press like i got really email, yeah yeah from like a buyer at Christmas tree shops and they're like, Hey, like I heard you like in the newspaper and you know, we'd love to have your product. So we had been up to like five stores at that point Mm. when COVID hit. Is that
1: when, is that when you thought you made it when Christmas tree shop is emailing you? (laughs) I can't
0: can't say I ever thought that I made it to be honest. I can say honestly though, that I was like, this is definitely better than school yeah yeah
1: because it's like real world experience versus just Mm -hmm. doing a project and consumer behavior 311 mark with adoran which i did and like you you don't actually you just like make a project and you're like okay this is cool
0: yeah no it was it was real world and i had already had a pretty good idea at that point in time i was like all right. If you have a good amount of real world experience and you don't have a college degree, like I don't think you're going to lose a job opportunity because of that. And so far, that has held true for me, in in, in every case.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, my dad, who he was a podcast guest, I forget what number he was, maybe like eight or something. But he dropped out of school his first first year of college. Obviously, he's like kind of from a different generation, uh, yeah. but he he owns his own business and like, he's been very successful and not mm-hmm. having a college degree has never really hold him back. Um, or not hold him back, held him back. Avery. Damn it. Yeah. No, um, no, right. <laughs> I fumbled enough words words. Um, but yeah, I think more and more definitely. And with like, obviously the increasing cost of education now is like absurd and, yeah, people more and more are turning to, I mean, places like the internet where you can make money and in, like investing, you can make money and doing like different marketing. Um, yeah, it's definitely making money is, I, I don't want to say like easier now than before, but there's like more avenues to do it. And the internet like unlocks so many things. Um, I was, I'd,
0: I'd agree that it is almost easier now, you know, we're, we're a generation that grew up having every answer to every question at our fingertips Mm. where our parents didn't have that. And our grandparents definitely
1: didn't have that. No. And like, yeah, like kind of like what you said, like any answer at your fingertips, like the memorization of things is kind of Mm -hmm. like tab, like it's just stupid. Like why would you waste, like think of, I mean, back in like middle school and stuff, how much stuff we like memorize for tests and stuff that now you can just Google. Like even in college, even, even in college. college, yeah. Even like, in college
0: terms on an exam. It's like, why, why do I need to know this? I was like, yeah, this
1: is crazy. especially when like you're just learning it in the real life, in the real world and you yeah. know how it's actually applied to things rather than just, um, I mean, just like this podcast, I've learned things like I, now I know what energy contracts are. I can go tell everyone yeah. where if I learned that in school, I probably forget that. Hmm. um but so let's let's transition out of this is a lot of business talk for oh can you hear me
0: you're freezing a little bit
1: okay oh there we go oh, you you just just froze. all right so we had about an hour of business talk so people that aren't into business are probably going to tune that out now <laughs> yeah. um what about what about just you as a person outside of your salsa company outside of all of this what do you like to do with your free time any interesting stories trips
0: um i'd say the number one hobby outside of business is is golf for sure okay i i love to i love to play golf um i was lucky enough to become a member at a course down here on cape that is really ridiculous to be honest and there's there's some crazy, crazy money at that course with some of the people, but it, it is like the nicest course I'd ever played. And weirdly enough, like Nicholas's cousins um, were caddies at this course when we were like, basically their the last 10 years, they've caddied there. Okay. But, you know, you pick us up when, you know, it was like five o'clock and there's no members Mm -hmm. and we're like 16 17 and i remember saying them i'm like we're gonna be members here like we're (laughs) gonna like this is gonna happen and like sure enough like at 22 i was the youngest junior member to ever join the course
1: that's awesome that's awesome so have you been playing golf like since you were a little kid or is it something you've recently picked up
0: Yeah. I've been, I've been playing for a long time. I took a good break. I'd say between like high school and like the first year or two of college where I didn't play as much and got like really back into it with COVID.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's every, so like, I mean, I've played golf my entire life and like, I know other people. And I feel Mm -hmm. like the same thing happened to everyone. It was like, You kind of stopped going to high school because, like, you were more concerned about, like, sports in high school and, like, girls and, like, hanging out with your friends. Like, well, and it's expensive. So, like, high school, when you kind of go out on your own, essentially, like, you're using your own money and stuff like that. You're not going to spend, whether it's, like, 50 to, like, 90 a $100 to go play golf, let alone a membership. But when you're a kid like your dad takes you or whatever. I I did summer camps, but yeah, I kind of had that same thing. Took a little bit of break, but now I'm definitely much more into it. Um, have you, have you traveled like outside of Cape Cod, like Massachusetts to go golfing or is it just like, I played, I played, yeah, no, I played a
0: good amount of courses in Florida. Um, that's, that's, uh, yeah, Florida, Florida. I mean, with the weather, (laughs) like your cheap course in Florida compared to a cheap course in New England is like a world of difference. It's a world of difference. It's, it's completely different, you know, just because they don't have to worry about a tough winter where everything gets wrecked and the greens are destroyed. Um, so yeah, I mean, i really just Florida. I've played like, you know, I've played in Maine, I've played in Pennsylvania, uh, New York, but like I mean, that's kind of the same geographical area, so to speak.
1: Yeah, more more states than me. I've only played in Vermont and uh, v- Vermont, Massachusetts. Well, actually, throw throw Rhode Island and New Hampshire in there. But yeah, Rhode Island because that's where we went to school. Um, but yeah, th- yeah. So where in Florida, like what areas did you play? at? I'm just curious. Let's see if you remember?
0: <laughs> I think Lauderdale. I've played okay. a few courses in Lauderdale. Um, and it's interesting now, too, because the course that I'm a member at up here, most of the older, like, senior full-time members are, like, spending a half a year up here, half a year down there. Yeah. So they're, they're members at crazy courses down there, too. And I, I got to make a trip at some point. I haven't been able to. I, w- I should have gone... Before Christmas, but with the new job, I didn't want to take any time off yet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, uh, I've, I like, I have so many plans for in my head of like golf trips. Like, I really want to go out west and like Arizona and like desert courses and shit like that. Like, I'd love to go to, like the Caribbean and like play. Mm-hmm. Um, the, like, the PGA tour was just in Hawaii a couple weeks ago. I don't know if you watched any of that, but awesome. that, yeah it just like that looks so sick that um that one course i forget the name of it where they played like the champion like all the champions from the last year do you did you watch any of that tournament or see highlights
0: i watched it and i watched i watched part of it i watched highlights and that course is
1: so beautiful
0: yeah yeah
1: so beautiful
0: like like downhill like par four
1: with full water view you're like holy shit that's that's exactly what i was picturing in my head with that whole yeah yeah let me me look up the name of that
0: now that i'm thinking of it too i played one course in the outer banks which was awesome
1: oh that's probably pretty cool
0: yeah. It's the only time I've played a link style course.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Which was, I mean, it's, it's tricky for sure. It's creative golf.
1: Yeah. Kapalua. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. That's what it was. Um, wait, So it was link style, huh? So I guess let's explain this to the listeners. Cause I, I don't, maybe you can come up with a better definition than I can. When I think of links, I just kind of think of like rolling hills and like, there's not really like any, it's like kind of flat. Right. And there's not many trees and stuff. I I don't know what like the textbook definition would be. From what
0: Google's telling me, like links golf is, is, you know, the, it makes sense now that I read it is the, the origination of golf. So like Scotland, right. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's much more wide open fairways, but you know, those fairways are going to have, you know, bumps and little valleys and you know, your feet are going to be uneven. It's going to be more uncomfortable shots um, and like vastly harder greens to stick for one and for two to putt on.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and obviously in Lynx Link's, Link's golf, you always see, like, people putting from, like, 30 yards off the green and stuff, with, like, mm-hmm. crazy things like that, hitting, yeah. like, three wood or something from, like, 30 yards and just, like, putting it, essentially. Like, yeah. well, I think you said creative. Like, you can be creative yeah. with it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. For sure. Do you have any interest in, speaking of Lynx golf, do you have any interest in going over over the pond to uh, England or Scotland and go play some. I know the, the, the open is at St. Andrews this year.
0: Yeah. That's going to be exciting for one. And I, I'd love to get over there. I've never done Europe. Um, I've been, I've been to some other places. I've been to Australia, but oh Europe,
1: really? Like, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, I believe we've had an off, off podcast conversation about Australia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But keep keep going, keep going about Europe.
0: Yeah, I mean, Australia is quite the country. I'd say it's a it's a fairly similar culture to America. Um, But it's it's a, you know, a heavily coastal country where most of the life happens. You know, most of the population is on the coast, um, which was really cool. I, but I was able to actually see the outback and see the central part of the uh, country just because, um, weirdly enough, I have family over there. I have an aunt and uncle and two cousins that are all Australian citizens. Um, my uncle who, you know, will never hear this podcast, hopefully, uh, you know, he moved over there like 25 years ago or so now, um, he was a contractor for the NSA Okay, And he worked on a base that was, like, in the middle of nowhere, central Australia. Um, so we visited them out there and got to do a bunch of cool stuff. We saw Sydney. I saw Melbourne. I saw the, you know, the Gold Coast, which was really cool.
1: That That's where I lived for, like, I guess it would be, what summer was that? I was a junior... 20 years yeah uh, so 2017 i think yeah that summer from like july to october that's when i was there yeah i was Mm -hmm. at the gold coast um yeah i i pretty much stayed to the coast i had plans to go to the outback but it was just like so expensive and yeah getting to the coast was kind of easier and i was also um funding most of it myself so obviously i had to take that into consideration oh, uh, yeah. but yeah like you said it is very similar culture um like it was there was some like different things obviously as like every like america to britain is like a little different uh yeah. my experience was cool though because i when i was there i was studying at university and so you yeah. got to I got to meet different like exchange students and stuff and yeah. there's was- uni. Right? Yeah. At uni. Uh, yes. It was actually, I, one of the coolest things is that there was a casino, like a, like a couple blocks from my apartment, which was bad, mm-hmm. but there was the sports bar there. And I went with all like the French students mm-hmm. for the world cup when France won the oh, world cup. Gosh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so I was there with like, Hundred like like a bunch like hundreds of like French people like that were there and it was just like it was like it was like certain like little things like that. There was another there was a professor one day we we're there's a bar on campus for American students I guess some campuses have bars but this was like in the center like it was essentially like a restaurant bar area and uh, we also me and a couple of my friends we were just like watching the Red Sox game because I was with yeah. some kids. From Boston, and like a professor walks in with a Boston Red Sox jersey, and so like we, yeah, so we like we like hey, this is a nice jersey, and then he came, sat down, and, like we had a beer, and like it's like one o'clock in the afternoon on like a Wednesday, like <laughs> their 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 like life is like a little different. It was also kind of funny. So I I met some Australian like friends naturally mm-hmm. just because being in class with people. And so we went out to like dinner, and I became friends with the kids that weren't studying at university too. And they mm. all kind of looked down at like the universities in Australia as like they're kind of like a waste of time, waste of money. They're like, yeah. why? Why wouldn't you just get like a job? And like, so it's kind of interesting because like in American culture, I, I think it's kind of shifting, but it's very much like yeah. you need to get a college education to mm-hmm. make money. But there, it's a very different mindset. They almost kind of like laugh at it to a good degree.
0: Mm-hmm. No, 100%. Um, yeah. I, I. The best part, I think, for me, not the best part, but one of the most fun parts about being in Australia was I went in high school. So I had okay. just turned 18. So you could drink. Like, <laughs> yeah. So I'm out drinking like at bars and shit, and I'm having a blast. And that was like... A, definitely kind of a shock where i'm like oh this is fine over here and like i don't know you don't you don't hear the same complaints about it for sure
1: um so what was what were like some of the so you you said you went to like the gold coals melbourne sydney and then like the inner did you go anywhere else or that those are just like kind of the main points
0: those were the main points those were i think i spent a week on the gold coast in Cannes,
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah and yeah we were there in the rainy season which ended up working out well because it probably was the one week it wasn't rainy in, in the rainy season um stayed at this crazy place where like uh, we were in like a crazy suite and it was it was like extremely cheap because it was that time of year yeah the one day it did rain was the the day we went out on the reef, of course. Um, but I remember being just so fired up. We had this like crazy, crazy attractive like um, guide, like snorkel guide on the reef. Mm-hmm. And it was just like a wild day for sure.
1: <laughs> Especially as a high school kid.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, wh- what What time of year was it? do you remember because i was there i was in Cairns in july and like it rained one day but i don't like i honestly don't know when the rainy season was there
0: i want to say it was february Okay february yeah february or march and apparently it was rainy season (laughs) i couldn't tell you what the rainy season is in you know that part of australia but we we definitely lucked out
1: did you see any of, like, the bleached, like, coral reef there at all? Did they show you any of that? I
0: don't remember
1: seeing any of that. Um,
0: but, I mean, I remember hearing about it heavily. Like, yeah. There.
1: Yeah, because when I was there, we did, like, a snorkel, and, like, we even did, like, an introductory, like, scuba dive. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, anyways, like, we did all the snorkeling all day. It was awesome, whatever. And then like to it wasn't the it wasn't the final place we went, it was like the second final place we went. Um, but it was just like a bleached coral reef where it's just all white because the coral had died from like the acidification of the ocean and shit. Yeah. And it was just like it 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 kind of hit you like fuck, like this is bad. Yeah. But yeah, I I have read some articles recently that the reef has like been slowly coming back, coming back. Yeah. yeah so that's like great news but it is kind of i don't know if you've ever seen those like pictures from, from like satellite images where you yeah. can see the great bear reef and just how much like how much it's gotten smaller since like other years yeah.
0: but i guess you could call it eroding but yeah no i was reading something the other day where they talked about like you know obviously the ocean the ocean's huge you know we have oh, an ex- massive but the part that we're hurting is like the you know the 20 to 30 nautical miles in between the shore and out and that's that's where the vast majority of marine life lives
1: Mm -hmm.
0: which i thought was like kind of a a very interesting fact
1: yeah that is interesting because i mean it makes sense because like you don't like if you're a little itty bitty clownfish you don't want to be out in the big big deep sea you're gonna get eaten it's gonna be too cold the current's gonna take you away or whatever but uh, and then obviously humans like we affect things close to shore obviously more than out in the deep but that's that's one thing about the ocean that freaks me out man is like you don't know we don't know what the hell is down there
0: wow we have no idea it, like, I feel
1: like we know more about the moon and what's on the moon than we do <laughs> our own ocean. And it's like, yeah.
0: yeah, I forget what the number is, but the number, like the percent that we've explored of the ocean, is horrifying. Mm. It's like,
1: here, let me look it up.
0: I want, I forget what it is, but it's a, it's a scary number for sure.
1: Just five percent of the o- Earth's oceans have been explored. Isn't that nuts? According to why. Wild- worldwideboat.com let's look at noah they might have a better
0: i'm pretty sure that's like close to what i remember though like it's a it's a scary low number
1: this one's saying 80 percent no, only no know way. about seven percent of the world. what
0: yeah, I think it's closer to about five percent number, which is a, an this,
1: interesting. Yeah, this is eighty to seventy. National Geographic says ninety percent is undiscovered or discovered. Undiscovered, undiscovered. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's only ten percent discovered. Yeah, I mean it's it's very it's and i think it's it's also like well because it's impossible for us to discover it like you got to go like the Mari is it mariana or mariana trench do you know what i'm talking about like the deepest point yeah, I, know, I know what you're talking about whatever yeah. w- whatever it is it's like miles deep like <laughs> it's not like you can go down there to the scuba tank or
0: no the pressures at that depth are just like insane
1: oh it's insane. it's Absurd, yeah. I mean, well, it's even insane. Like, so I did like an introductory like scuba dive, and it's like to go down thirty feet takes like a couple minutes because you got to go down a certain feet and then like wait and then go down and then wait and then like the same like going up like and people that do the scuba like dives like hundreds of feet and stuff. It's even more like you got to go and if you come up too fast. For, I think your blood, boy. There's something with your blood that like just freaked, freaked me out. Like
0: it, either. Yeah, I don't know if it clots or it's something like that. Yeah, it's but like yeah.
1: something very disturbing where it you don't want it to happen. It, yeah,
0: the oxygen like leaves your blood. Mm-hmm. yeah. Just I mean, madness.
1: Yeah. Um. Do you have anything else you want to get off your chest, or? Do you want to just call it?
0: I don't know. I I feel like we've had a good run.
1: Yeah, you feel confident?
0: I mean, I I think I'd rather let the people decide.
1: <laughs> you have a little contest amongst the So the first the most uh listens, I think. I haven't checked this in a while to be honest. We can do this live on air, rooting off how many downloads of each episode. I believe Nicholas Nicholas Nikki P has the most downloads. That's awesome. So that's the number to beat, if you want to beat it, or if you want to be.
0: I, I you know, I think it depends on how crazy you make the title.
1: <laughs> well, all the, all the titles are just people's names.
0: <laughs> I know, I know. But if you you want a little, you know, what's that term that they use with like YouTube videos for Click. cloud chase
1: clickbait
0: yeah clickbait you yeah gotta throw a little clickbait in there
1: <laughs> so nicholas yeah nicholas is the leader with 94 listens okay you think he's just re-listening to
0: himself though
1: or no i th- i think it's just because he he was the first it was the first podcast when i like started all the social media and like posted on social media that was the first podcast i was on there so i think people just like clicked on that and it we haven't reached that peak yet but we're working towards it cool all right well thank you very much for coming on any last words
0: uh it's been great to you know be here i'm honored to be the the first intoxicated podcast (laughs) on on the show i think that's that's a special one for me
1: um yeah all right sounds good thank you very much
0: now i I'll in you, crank that song Now why in you, crank that song Now why in you, back in time Know you boy I'm in it oh. Oh. Why me crank why me roll
1: Jump, jump, rejoice, there's a party over here i party over there, wave your hands in the air, shake your dairy, yeah These three words, when you're getting busy Whoa, there it is, Get